0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. Thanks sponsors, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Top Spinning and Upper Deck, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. When you get a whole bunch of people in the room that are sharp, it's nice to give each person a chance to weigh in on interesting topics. These were topics that those in attendance chose, and we batted them around. Hope you enjoy. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Patrick, your question or comment about transparency? Yeah, it's blogging
1: about something I don't own, but I want. And then all of a sudden now I have to pay quite a bit more for it when it surfaces because people read my blog post. I'm okay to do that. I've been doing this a long time, but because I'm passionate about the content, it's more just how do you manage? Do you just accept that what your content is about might produce a monetary value of something that you still desire to be much, might uh, manipulate the the, the the value of something you still desire. To I monitor.
0: related this back to a version of FOMO that is FOMO forever, that you're never gonna see this card again. If I'm never gonna see a card, and I'm Patrick and I want that card, I'm gonna say, hey, I really want that card, okay? If it's a run of the mill card you're probably gonna see, and you tell people you want it, and a lot of people have it, they say, hey, here comes Patrick. <laughs> He's the one that's going to pay extra for this card. So FOMO forever, that's a legit FOMO. I'm never going to see this again. Rich and I, when we go you know, through the National looking for type cards that we've never seen before, if we've never seen it, if Rich hasn't never seen it I've never seen it, we
2: just... <laughs>
0: I'm just saying. So, so the FOMO aspect is if you see it all the time, FOMO is just trying to regulate your wallet, that I can buy it now before it goes up, but it might not go up, it might go down. If I tell people I want it, that might make it go up, but it might not.
1: But it might give me access to that card. And it might,
0: if you're never going to see it anyway. So it's not worth doing if it's a common card.
1: Typically but if it's a really tough card, is, yeah, yeah.
0: net net, I would tell people. Right. In fact, especially in the social media world, there's random acts of kindness. Right. right. You're right. just as likely for somebody to come up and say, Hey, Patrick, here it is.
2: I'll tell the story in a different way. 18, when I was setting up at the Nationals in the 80s, I remember this father and son coming to my table the second day and basically buying every odd QB Brooks card I had.
3: <laughs>
2: they scoured the show on the first day looking for QB Brooks cards, and on the second day they, came, they said, "We're hitting your table more than anybody else." They understood that the odds of any of those QB Brooks cards selling were slim and none, and some <laughs> had already gone back to uh, playoffs. But if they're looking for an '88, let's say, a Pebble Beach Joe DiMaggio card, which is one of the very first signed cards. It's not certified, but basically it's certified. There are six people in the set, and they're all signed from 1935. If they saw one of that show, and they didn't grab it, somebody else would immediately. And that, I think, is an extreme point, but that's, I think, the point you're making to some extent.
3: This happens a lot to us with our Ryan Eads collection. He is basically a minor league pitcher. And even though he didn't even have a job in 2020, one of his one-of-ones was being sold to us through eBay for $700. Because there's literally only us that's going to buy this card. And he had picked us out and he's like, I'm going to make you pay. It's still sitting there.
4: So your, I have this same issue with a 59 Top string side in Rocky Mountain. Mar- 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 it's a card that I have wanted for years. And I could've bought it a few times, but I, I never pulled the trigger. I'm not saying that I spoke about it and it shot through the roof, but I spoke about it, and the next day, it's, it's $200, $300 more than what it was. And I was like, now I've kicked myself in the foot because I want this card, I'm not gonna be able to buy it at that price, especially when the, the price
1: before it was the day before. It's a horrible catch-22 that you play. It's I figured, the one thing that, that we all have is we're all passionate about something, so we should get that out into the ethos, whatever that is, as soon as we can, uh, because time is of the essence, and so, if you don't have it it's okay that you don't have it you can talk about it and for a moment in your mentally you have at least a, a, a thought about it mm-hmm. and you can share that with somebody else somebody else might be like let me see if i have that oh, okay maybe i'll put it up and see weird how that works out you put something out there and it's not a guarantee but there's a chance that it might come back to you in a way like you might find that card now because it's available like when big sales happen then a couple other sales of the same card happen. You haven't seen the card in 10 years. Finally, there are three consecutive sales over the course of four months because one came up. So now you have four opportunities. That's actually, I think, the, the one benefit that's not a guarantee. But just the, the thought of knowing that if I talk about this now, there might be a chance that I'll see one, at least see one, hit auction over the next whatever if someone rates this and they have it. So that's a nice thought. I've never seen that card at auction. I've always seen it and buy it now. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough.
0: <laughs> so. Dr. Beckett, do you have any buying stories from your days when the catalog was in its infancy and no, no, scouring shows. No, there's no fun buying stories <laughs> when I started doing price gun because I didn't. I passed up the sad buying stories or the purchases that were not made. I'm looking at a table, we're tracking to see what cards are selling for. I'm looking at a card that's dramatically underpriced. It would be a steal, and, and I just walk on by. And it, that's hard, especially if it's Roberto Clementi. He didn't like that. I, I think Rich and I, when we were going around, the thrill was in seeing something we'd never seen before. We're mainly talking 15 years ago. The prices weren't if If you'd never seen the card before, maybe it'd be a hundred bucks. It <laughs> could be the only one.
2: Our dear friend, and you know him too, Arizona Hank Reese's. Yeah. And he, he set up the last two shows here, and he had some ADA set I had never seen before. You actually mentioned seeing that yeah. on one of your podcasts, but yeah. it was something where That part of me kicked in saying, I've never seen that before. He actually was carrying Sanchez's old basketball card, Price Guy from 92, saying, These are the mistakes in it. This is what it really is, just to show how long it's been extant and to show it. But it was something you and I I don't remember we ever seeing before. And it was exciting to see something, and that was from 25 years ago, and it kicked in to see. That's interesting. I've never seen that. And there's, you Morgan, you do a lot of obscure NASCAR stuff, and so do you Val, and I'm sure you have that same feeling when you see
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 1972 STP cards are some of the cards that we really look for all the time. And With all this going on with the hobby now the price increases, we've seen probably more of those cards in the last four months than we've probably seen in the last four years. Okay. And, of course, the prices have gone way up, and there has been a couple that I've needed, but it's just I can't pay that price. And I don't know if it's because that I put content out on those before that. They were in the price guide, but no history, but we've been chasing them for the last 15 years, and things that we've learned, people we've talked to, that I put on the podcast, the stuff is starting to come out with this guest, like said, and escalated quickly. So Petty was like 200, now 15,000.
2: And I haven't really heard anything from our House of Jordan people. I'd like them to say something if they feel comfortable. Any topic in particular? Yes, no, this one, fine. Or. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, ratio pricing. So it's like the Richard Petty thing. It was dormant, and nobody brought it out. Now it went up. You guys have uh, algorithms that suggest that this could be priced at this level because it's related to another player, another set, something in a similar condition or in a lesser condition. But that's empirical in the way you develop the ratios. Something a lot more
3: humble and basic than that. It's it's inspired by you. Um, The early price guys back in... The later ones would take, for example, 93 94 finals basketball, and you have the base, then you would say refractor, 10x the high column Similarly, in today's market, we have more precise data points and we have dates on them. One example is LeBron, top scrolling PSA town a little bit tight. Thank you, Gary. Bring up once more here. Uh, That card, historically, uh, is actually, from the empirical point of view, pretty remarkable is held at a 5x multiplier to the refractor's PSA 10 analog to it. Um, now, does it always hold? No. Uh, there can be variation. In fact, there's quite a deviation from the historical correlation right now. Uh, this is quite different. But the concept that movements in one market can trigger movements in another is, from the data point of view, compelling. From the collector's point of view, potentially useful. From the seller's point of view, bad or good, depending upon which way it's moving in your direction. Sometimes it can be precise, sometimes it is. And to Dr. Beckett's point, when you start getting into uh, cross-player comparisons, or even cross-cards, a lot of times it just doesn't hold up. If if there's anything that's really humbling in trying to do data in sports cards, it's how often projects like that utterly fail to have any predictive value whatsoever. Uh, the science of prediction. Uh, science in general is methodologically based on prediction and the extent to which you can specify variables in advance and say under these conditions if these variables hold then the consequence will be X. The likelihood that happening in sports cards is modest. When it does happen it's very exciting. When it doesn't it's humbling back to the drawing board. Anytime you're dealing with human behavior, anytime you're with economics, uh, things that are influenced by Irrational and rational decision making. Well, you're in for quite the ride. But ratios, relationships between prices, between players, between sets. The shrewdest collectors, which I'm not, but the shrewdest, get ahead of those movements and they see, oh, okay, people really like the PMGs or something. So maybe Prism Gold is next. Why? What are the similarities? What are the benchmarks here? I don't. Does that talk
0: to ratios a little bit, Dr. that Yeah, but even within the same card, within a grade, there's not a one-size-fits-all ratio of a ten of something to the nine. If you just look at PSA, but even within the Beckett scaling, there's there, there's not a fixed multiple, but there are some guidelines based on types of cards, how difficult they are to gem, and all that. And you guys are tracking that. So if there's enough data, I think you're doing a lot of the same things too. The only problem is the tracking is from the past and the spread between a nine and a 10 is going to float and it could get less, it could get more. It's not going to stay the same over time, but you guys are going to track it. And the savvy people are going to see, hey, the spread is shrinking on these cards. Maybe it's going to sh- shrink on these others. That's making nines look like a, a good deal now, especially strong nines who, who that have great subgrades or
4: better eye appeal. Well, that's true. I'm a data analyst in retail. And you can say the same thing in retail, but your past performance is no indicator of your future performance. You, you don't know because, take for example, like I said, I work retail
0: COVID. You that, didn't have that in your model? We did
4: not <laughs> have that in model, yeah. I could not predict that X category was going to literally sell out in one week. So at the end today, of the day, I mean, while perhaps imperfect, it's a hypothesis. It's an educated guess based on what you've had. It's no different than in basically any other setting. You can only do so much, and you can only work with the information you have. Unless there's something I don't. You ain't got a DeLorean.
3: For the analysts in the room, is there a weight that you give to certain things? Because I know, like, you mentioned pop
0: reports earlier, an indicator, and they are, but we've also seen silver prisms. A pop report is nowhere near the indicator as much as just popularity and recognizability. Spreads between 9s and 10s, like, in your personal systems, do you have a weighting class where you say, like, pop report is 15% of the value versus overall iconicness? The spread on this card is heavier, you know, it's, it's heavier on superstars, or it's less heavy. Every other
4: one, because you can look at it at a category level, you can look at it at a, you know, a secondary level, and you can look at it at a granular level, and it's reflective upon take again the things of off-seasons. We all know, when do you buy? Ideally, when do you buy? You buy in the off-season. No, um, no. So, you can weight things.
0: Basically, Josh is letting the data do the talking. He's not deciding yeah. it. He's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm referring
4: He's to the future a, where you were saying that the same in every aspect of but, any kind of data analyst analysis.
3: And then you look at the, the, pop, retail. the pop report, and with PSA's backlog starting to catch up, you're all of a sudden seeing well, it was pop two yesterday. It's pop 35 today. A different type of
2: analysis, Eric. You and I were back at Price Guide analysts. What were some of the different things you were doing to help produce the price guide? We looked at all the available. Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can say as that,
0: much uh, as possible. We're trying to let the data do the talking.
4: Yeah, from yeah. a multitude of sources. I, I think the biggest thing I would like to clear up is, oh, it's just eBay.
2: eBay is one part of the Beckett equation. We didn't have eBay when I started. Right. We spent ninety-one thousand dollars one year on sending analysts around the country <laughs> to Price Guide to. It's things in person.
4: I've been guilty of saying some of those things about Beckett, and I've said it in a, you know, social media platform, but the team over there and Jeff's team, how many times have you seen the same card within a week sell for 1,200, and then 1,800, and then back to 15? Why the hell is it selling at all these 30% difference one time to the next? So what you can do, even with the evidence that you have,
0: no, but you're putting the cart before the horse. They're not doing anything, they're reporting what's there. No, I'm responding to where so they can talking. The pr- future is only, here's the graph, if it continues, this is what it is. That's why it could be 12, 18, 15, it can bounce around. It's not their fault. Sometimes I'm
4: guilty of not saying what I'm okay. trying to say. I'm actually in support of you guys and just saying that there's just so much, because you had talked about some of the things yourself and you were just like, I don't know, and any, I was just getting at any level of retail or anywhere that you analyze data there's always that element of the unknown. And there's, yeah, I, I, I apologize, I was trying to actually say that it's not just in cards, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Anybody that does any kind of data. We just wait the actual
1: sales and the actual dates, going back to all time sales to street as we have. So we'll pick like three dates in time and prices to ratios of similar cards, as close to those dates as, dates as we can get, and we map the ratios to each other, and we pick as many of those going back as far as we can then we weight those and average those out so that you're just getting closer and closer to reality as far back. As we go. So you're
0: you're improving so. as you go. Yes,
1: yeah, so each new data point we get where they sell within a certain range of each other, it's now improved and it's getting closer to the actual value. We can't measure things like popularity.